Welcome to the Possibility Action Network podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton, a.k.a. Possibility Man. We are committed to bringing you guests who strive to better people's lives and serve as a force for good in the world. Our guest today is Howard Boone Jr. He is a high school football, baseball, and lacrosse standout. He graduated from St. Augustine's University in Raleigh, North Carolina. He was a member of the Army ROTC and the Army Reserve. He jumped out of airplanes in preparation for a career as a ranger. His life changed on March 3rd, 2018, when a, when a driver came and shot into a crowd. Howard Boone Jr., welcome to the show today. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Well, look, I'm, I'm happy to have you here. I'm so happy to talk with you. First, as a reminder to our audience, follow, like, and share this podcast wherever you find it. Also, I want to let everyone know that this conversation is about gun violence and its impact on the lives of individuals and their families. So brace yourself for this conversation today. So Howard Boone Jr., how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? And then, correction, it was uh, March 18th. And you know March, you said, March, you okay, said thank you. March okay, March 18th, 2018. Thank you so much for that, that correction. Okay, so how are you doing? No, I'm holding on. I'm holding okay. on. I'm taking it day by day. Okay, I got you. Look, here, take us back to high school. I mentioned that you were a football player, you were a baseball player, you were a lacrosse player, you probably did some other things athletically. How was that for you? Uh it was it was pretty it was pretty easy. I think I was always been that guy to like, you know, uh be involved with athletics. Um it was always easy for me to make make the team. Baseball was a little challenging because that was my first year in lacrosse. It was it was a little challenging as well because you know they they run they run long distance. And you know, football is like, you know, short, like short pace, you know, at like intervals and stuff like that. But lacrosse is kind of similar to how baseball it, you know, baseball, but soccer, you know, running up and down the field, uh, nonstop into, you know, the ref decides to blow the whistle or somebody, you know, decides and, you know, make a penalty or something like that. But you know, sports always came naturally to me. So the transition Transition was always easy, no matter what sport it was. Wow, you were gifted. So, which of those sports was your number one sport? Uh, at first it was basketball. At first Is it was right? basketball. Okay. Growing up, it was basketball, and then uh, you know, I got into some trouble, and then so my my mother had took me out of basketball. So when I decided mm -hmm. to pick back up sports again, I decided to play football. But it took me like probably like three years, two or three years to fall in love with football because, you know, I was always when I first started, I was on a team where, you know, the coach's sons were on the team. So it, I really wasn't able to understand the game as much because I didn't really get that, that much playing time. But as the years went on, I got taller, got bigger. You know, I was able to fulfill my, you know, you know, my role like I like I truly wanted in the in that game. 
the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of lost the love for for football, I think, in high school because of, you know, the structure and the way the coaching setup kind of was. Um, but I think I played football all four years of high school. I played lacrosse one year, ran track one year, and then baseball was my senior year. But mm-hmm. overall, I I could say that baseball probably was one of my favorites in high school, only because it it made me feel like a kid again. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really good at baseball. I was just mm-hmm. fast, so that's why I was on the team. And I was a good motivator. I think baseball was the only sport that I kind of – Set on the bench, you know. Mm-hmm. I never really okay. sat on the bench, but baseball was the only sport I sat on the bench, which I didn't mind because baseball was it's always something going on in baseball. Whether yeah. like, sitting on the bench, you can you can talk junk junk to the pitcher, you can mm-hmm. talk junk in outfield, the first base. Uh-huh. All there's always something like going on, and um, you know, foul balls you ducking and running from the five balls going into the dugout and stuff. So I think I enjoyed that because it made me feel like a little kid again. And uh, just to learn, I think the learning, the learning curve of that, of trying to play baseball because my first time throwing a baseball, I think I tried to throw like a football and it didn't work out for me like I, you know, like I wanted it to. And, uh, you know, just the learn, the learning all over again was like, felt good. It felt like I was, you know, mm-hmm. a kid again. It, it must have been a good feeling to feel like a kid again. That's I like that line, feeling like a kid again. So just to underscore this, you know, in high school, you were very athletic. You were able mm-hmm. to play various sports. Uh, about how tall were you and about what was your weight, if you recall, when you got out of high school? Ooh. I think I was probably about 5'10", maybe pushing 5'11", maybe. Um mm-hmm. But my weight was probably like maybe like one seventy five at most. Oh, that's pretty good. And and how that's school. a tight that's a tight five ten five eleven at one seventy five. Yeah, you know I know because I was five ten and one eighty five when I graduated high school. So I'm with you, brother. That was a good one. <laughs> I yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what was your you know stay we'll stay with high school a little longer. You know you're in high school. You know you're enjoying your athletics. Uh, what were you hoping for yourself? What were you dreaming about? What were you thinking about going forward as you matured? Well, you know, the goal for me was to to get a scholarship, um, get a scholarship in football, and you know, play in college. And you know, back in at that time, well, where I was from, Raleigh, North Carolina, we had this. Well, I guess you could call it the triangle between Raleigh, Durham. Chapel Hill. Um, we had this high school magazine called um, Vibe Vibe Magazine, and that's where like all the top high school players in football would um, would be featured on the cover and stuff. So my freshman year, sophomore year, junior year, I used to see that because we had um, players on my on my team that made it D one, big D one schools like Wake Forest University. Uh, some Clemson, ECU, NC State. And so these guys were getting featured. So you would think, you know, as you become an upperclassman, this is what it looks like 
for you, but not realizing like, you know, the business part of it, which was your education, like making sure your grades were up to par, SAT, ACT scores were were high and stuff like that. And those are things that I think a lot of people wasn't really thinking about. But at the same time, the goal was always to make it D1, a D1 program. If it wasn't D, a D1 program, we didn't want to go, you know, no D2. We didn't, we didn't think about D2. I mean, in D3, you know, that really wasn't even a, a thought. We I don't even think we we knew what a D3 was because the goal was always D1. I mean, even like I said, we might have heard about D2, but like the level of the playing field wasn't the same. So like I said, it was always D1. And, and so, uh, yeah, that was the goal for me. But um, I got hurt my – I got hurt both my sophomore and junior year. My junior year was more crucial. I played varsity football my uh, sophomore year, and so I was playing with a lot of guys that had these big-time, you know, recruits and scholarships and stuff like that. So I was – I think I stood out a lot my sophomore year. And so going into my junior year, I was supposed to be, you know, that guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I got hurt my junior year, and I think I, I pretty much set out half the season and okay. so trying to I tried to rush coming back I, I had high high ankle sprain that was mm -hmm. like you know irritating my my uh I guess Achilles I want to say and um try to rush coming back and you know the recovery process for that was not that great and so you know, a lot of things that I were I was doing as a freshman and sophomore, I was kind of timid to do then because pretty much I was injury prone at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got and, you. You know, yeah. once you get injured one time, and I think that's where I, I kind of lost. I mean, I was already kind of losing it a little bit because I wasn't able to play the position that I wanted to, but I just embraced it because – the guy, one of the guys that was an upperclassman, he was a senior my sophomore year. He wanted to play receiver, but mm -hmm. he was just so good athletically like I was. He ended up getting a scholarship at NC State as a um, as a corner in safety. Okay. And so I'm just like, well, if he could just embrace what he's doing, maybe I, mm -hmm. I can embrace what. I was doing what what I was doing as well because we both was in the same same position. Wanted to play offense, but had a defensive role because we was bigger than our peers. But um, I was like, well, if he can do it, I can do it. But you know, his journey didn't turn out. Well, his my journey didn't turn out as like his journey. You know, he ended up going playing in the NFL and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. you know, uh, yeah. Okay, so but you you had some experience with adversity early on in high school, you were right. you, know, uh, you know growing maturing as a player than injury. Um, <clears throat> how did you handle that emotionally? You know, uh, what did you learn about yourself and about adversity early on, being an athlete? Uh, well, you know, you think you got time. You know, it's one of those mm -hmm. things where it's like when you're a freshman or sophomore, the coaches the coaches will always give a speech to the seniors, be like, 
it, towards the end of the season. Like, seniors, you got to give it all you got. You know, this is your last go-around. You ain't going to get a second chance. You ain't going to get a do-over. And, you know, as a sophomore, freshman and sophomore, you know, like, okay, hold on. That, that that doesn't uh, that doesn't apply to me because mm-hmm. I'm only a sophomore, so I got I still got time. But uh, that time is is not really what you think it is. It comes fast, and then for me, you know, so a little like when I became when senior year came, it started to become more than just about football. You know what I mean? Like for me, like. For a lot of guys, I think that they try to hold on to the dream. And for me, like, you know, some people went junior college. Like I said, for me, if it wasn't a D1 program, I'm not even thinking about it. Like D2, not even thinking about it. Junior college definitely wasn't an option because okay. <laughs> I, I don't like I don't like that feeling of of uh of having hope. I don't want to hold on to something that might not be. You get what I'm saying? Like I I need something that's substantial that that's go like you know right. that's gonna right. really carry me, and so that's why I end up you know even my senior year when I realized you know I mean there was still a possibility that I could got a D one scholarship or a scholarship that I wanted, but the chances were slim. I took waited too long to take my SATs, so I think that's when I ended up uh, I ended up joining the. ROTC program in my high school, my senior year. Okay. My senior year in high school, and that was a that was a and that was Air Force, mind you. I ended up joining the Army, so uh, two totally different branches. But that was the that was the starter kit for me as yeah. far as military goes. But I got you. I like that phrase too, the starter kit. I love that. But I want to continue with this because you were so active. I want I want everyone to understand that you were an active individual. And in college, as I understand it, you continued to be active, ROTC, Army Army Reserve, and also you pledged the fraternity. Tell us about, you, you know, your first year of college and what was that, what that was like for you? Well, and also, later, I want you to tell us about what it was like jumping out of an airplane. Sure. So I joined the military with the Army right out of high school. So I graduated high school probably like June of 20. 2013 and then in August that's when I left to go to Fort Jackson for boot camp and um yeah so that 2013 I didn't join I didn't go to I didn't go to college until 2015 so I had was doing I was doing the military thing and well mind you I was in the reserve so you know the military was kind of like once a week I mean once a month for me and then two weeks out of the year was in the summertime we would do like some extensive training but for me I already knew like the preserved life it wasn't for me because mind you like training and boot camp you pretty much getting active duty paid right and so once I got home the money that I saved up was running out quick I'm just like yeah this ain't it I think I might go active go back active duty uh something because the reserve life is not benefiting me right now mm-hmm. and the training that we're doing it's like if any training at all it's almost like you go 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 to your unit and almost like just sit around until you get called 
mm-hmm. or pretty much hide out to so you don't get called. You know, as long as you know what time the formations are, like you pretty much good at that at that point. And so for me, I was just like, yo, this is not for me. And then the way I felt like I was getting treated, I was like, the calling, the calling that I felt like I had was much higher than this. Okay. Yeah. You know, I feel like if if I wanted to, you know, matriculate through the through the ranks of of this army and do this army thing full fledged, like this reserve life is not gonna not gonna get me nowhere. And so that's when I started looking, you know, going to college and doing ROTC. Because at the time, you know, you know, I think your first first three promotions up until like you were E4, right before you get to a, you know, sergeant or whatever, everything is like automatic. But at the same time, your um your senior officer is supposed to acknowledge the fact that you, you know, are promoted that your paperwork says that you're getting this amount of pay that you know, just acknowledge the fact that you got promoted, even though it was automatic, they supposed to still acknowledge it. And and it would kind of rub me the wrong way because I was, you know, talking my PT at the time, you know, mm. people knew me. I was getting, you know, and it was like, how am I still getting overlooked? You know, at the, at the same time, it's like, I don't, Nobody owes me anything because mm-hmm. these promotions are automatic. But if other people that that don't do as much as I do are getting the recognition for the same promotion that I didn't had or that I got that was automatic, why can't I get the same thing? So like I said, it started rubbing me the wrong way. So I'm just like, you know, I think officer might be the best for me, which in my mind, I'm thinking like an officer coming from the enlisted side will make the best officer because he knows both that he knows both sides. Right. right. So a lot of times officers, they either go straight to officer candidate school or jump right into ROTC without knowing mm-hmm. what comes with, you know, what comes with the enlisted side. And I don't seen I, at this point I haven't seen the enlisted side. So at this point I'm just like right. The officer side should be as far as leadership goes it should be easy yeah yeah so yeah so you were you were looking forward to graduating with uh, as a second lieutenant from St. Augustine's yeah yes sir. yes sir okay so yeah so let me ask you take us back to March 18 2018 do you recall the morning you know when you got up and what your plans were and kind of take us through that so we went the whole reason why we were, we was in uh, Columbia, South Carolina. Well, actually, Orangeburg, but that night that I got shot, we were in uh, Columbia. But mm-hmm. the whole point of us going to South Carolina was for um, a fraternity trip. Like, you know, our district and Omega Sci Fi, um, our district, as far as brothers, was the sixth district, which contains mm-hmm. North Carolina and South Carolina, all HBCUs, all. PWIs, all chapters that you know, um, fall within North Carolina, South Carolina. So we met up in uh, 
Orangeburg for the initiation process, right? Mm -hmm. um, the initiation process that happened Friday, I think Friday night or Friday evening when we got there, when we first got there. And then the rest of the time for the for that weekend, because it was a weekend thing. Uh, and for the rest of the time during that weekend was like pretty much learning the business side of it, you know, uh, networking and this and that and third. So Friday went by, I think Saturday morning, we had like a like a business meeting to show like, you know, the you know, to introduce us to like different business sides of the fraternity or whatever. And of course they have like vendors out there because at that point you're kind of, I mean, you pretty much are in, you know, you did met all the requirements, you're pretty much in. And so they got vendors out there for you to, you know, buy, you know, merchandise and this and that and the third. And that went by. And so the net last thing I think we had to do, which was Sunday, was, you know, I think a church service and some community service in that evening. Mm -hmm. um, but unfortunately, I didn't make it to Sunday, Saturday night, that Saturday night, after all the, you know, events and business meetings and stuff like that, Saturday night, uh, a couple of, you know, well, one of my fraternity brothers had got a call from, you know, one of the guys who was, you know, in charge of us. He was like, hey, let's go um, downtown uh Columbia. And at the time, I didn't bring any clothes to South Carolina other than my suit because I'm like, this is only a business trip. We're not gonna do nothing extra. We ain't go, you know, there's no point to have have fun. Mind you, when you when you going through the process of a, of a joining the fraternity, it's not process not fun anyway. You know, you're already tired, sleep deprived, all that type of stuff. So like we just go go down here, do what we got to do, and leave. But you know, the guy who was in charge of us wanted to have have fun, and so the person that one of my uh, line brothers that he called at the time, he was like, "Just get one of your line brothers." And of course, at the time, he was gonna call me because this was really at in twenty eighteen. This wasn't my first time uh, in the process of joining. 2017, I had joined, but the process had got to shut down. So this is my second time. So I already knew like how things went. So a lot of times when people would like, when some of my line brothers would get certain calls, the first person they would call on is me asking, you know, just to make sure things are what it was, nothing, you know, nothing crazy was going to happen. Right, right. And so I was almost like that protector of everybody who was, you know, online with me and pledging with me at the time. And so that's how I ended up in Columbia because I'm just like, well, let me go with him just to make sure, you know, nothing crazy happened. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, we ended up in Columbia. Mind you, like I said, the process you get when you pledge in and, and try to join a fraternity, you get, you get sleep deprived. So you really don't know, uh, what day it is really, you know, on top of the schoolwork. And, and as far as I, me, like at the time I was on uh, Royal Court, 
Um, I was in the marching. I was in the, I was in the drum line at the time. I was doing ROTC, so I was doing all these things at the same time with me trying to uh, very busy. Yeah, yeah. trying trying to pledge and stuff. So I really didn't know what day it was. Well, I knew my hangs. I didn't know what day it was. But as far as like you know, certain days got certain meanings to them. Like so, mm-hmm. this particular night or day, it was uh, St. Patrick's Day. I didn't know. I don't celebrate mm-hmm. St. Patrick's Day. I didn't. You know, I didn't really. I haven't heard of that that day really like that until since I was like a, a kid, you know, with kids mm-hmm. go, go to school and green and stuff like that. So we get downtown, I'm just like seeing all these people dressed in green. I'm just trying to figure out like, what's going on. And automatically, mm-hmm. you know, when you get like a a bad vibe, you just know something ain't right. That's what mm-hmm. I got. But at that point, at that point in time, like Orangeburg is like 30, 40 minutes away from Columbia, South Carolina. So I'm just like, I mean, we here now. It's like no, no way I can just like not get out of this. You right. know, if it, even if even if the intentions was to have a good time, there's no way I can mm-hmm. just be like, no. Yeah. So it's just like mm-hmm. I'm just getting this bad vibe in my my system. So, you know, we get we get out, you know, everybody, you know, at that point, it's probably like a little bit past midnight. People drunk, leaving, you know, you know, just the regular shenanigans. I guess you would, you call it downtown at night doing the festival. I guess, mm. you know, bing- we mingle with a couple people, you know, a couple of other uh, brothers of the organization that was, you know, in the process with us that was down there for the same reason, you know, introducing myself, getting to know them. You know what school they were from, just to, you know, just the regular stuff. And then uh-huh. after that, I don't remember. I don't remember nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. So you're you're there. It's a uh, St. Patrick's Day festival going on. You had a bad, bad vibe, but you didn't hear any gunfire, gunshots, or anything like that. Any reason to get away? None of those things were happening for you. Uh I didn't. I didn't hear any gunshots, but I can kind of like sense a bad vibe going on. Okay. Um, I can't really tell you what that bad vibe was, but I just mm. knew something was something was mm. about to happen. Right? Okay. And then and you say that you woke up in the hospital. Woke up in the hospital almost two weeks after that. After that. Oh, okay. So, I was in the state of coma. Okay, wow. So, you know, I don't know how much you can tell us about this, but what was your reaction when you discovered that you were in the hospital, when you knew that you had just gone to a festival? Uh, well, take it back to football, I never really had like a a major injury in football. So I, when it came to like injuries or hospitals and stuff, I've never been in a hospital before, like in this type of setting to where I'm like, I can tell like I was injured, right? Other than maybe like a busted lift or something like that. But so in my mind, I'm seeing all these tubes on me. I can't really understand why I have all these tubes connected to me but just me being naive and not understanding because mind you this was already almost two weeks so when I finally just 
woke up from this sedated coma. Nobody was in the room with me, so I'm looking around trying to figure out, trying to make sense of everything. And so, like, I'm like, well, just being naive, I'm just like, well, maybe I broke I broke a leg or something, something simple, right. to where it's like I could easily recover. And then once the nurses found out that I I was up, you know, they start doing like they did the little walk through test of asking questions, you know, do I know what day it is? Do I know the president, the time? And of course I knew, well, I'm assuming I didn't know who the president was, but I didn't know what day, the date, time, or none of that stuff. But so she was like, well, you've been shot. And I was wow. like, what? You know, I still, still trying to make sense of it. I'm just like, well, I mean, I'm here. You know, I'm I'm a, I'm alive and talking, so it can't still can't be that bad. You know what mm. I mean? Like, yeah, I want to underscore that for a moment. That that's that's you know that's quite a, a realization. There, you're mm. saying that you were told that you were shot, mm. but your first response to it was, and your words, you said you first thought it can't be that bad or something to that effect. It, to myself, not out loud, yeah. but just to myself, I'm just like, well, if I, you know. Because a lot of times we hear about people getting shot. I mean, they get shot, and then you know mm-hmm. that that's it. They you know they don't really they don't have a story to tell after they get shot because okay. death follows behind that right. much. Right. But yeah. at the same time, I coded it. I coded, I think, two or three times in the at like in the midst of. Me when I first got initially got shot, and then me trying to me trying to get me to the hospital, and then uh, doing surgery and stuff, trying to get the fragments and the bullet out of the back of my neck. Mm. Right, just to make sure people understand, when you said you were you coded three times, what does that mean? I said lifeless, pretty much. Mm. They got to bring they got to bring you back. They got to bring you back uh-huh. to life. Okay, so uh, Howard, Howard, so when did it begin to set in that it was more than you were shot and you would get up and walk out of the hospital? When did you begin to realize that it was more serious than that? It wasn't there. It wasn't at the hospital. It wasn't at the hospital. I can tell you that. Not at that particular hospital. Um, I don't think it probably. I mean, I don't think it set in until I got to rehab. Mm. I got to rehab and because the whole time I was at in South Carolina, Columbia, Richland County or whatever, um, I'm just, I'm in the bed, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's really no movement out of me, but I'm just thinking like, well, this is probably just like the norm for people who get who survived a shooting. I didn't never think about nothing about like being paralyzed. I had to be on the ventilator and just things of that nature. And so like I said, I'm still being naive because I I'm not I've never been put in this situation before. So like I said, it wasn't until I got to rehab where they actually physically had to get me dressed put me in my chair. I had to get fit for a wheelchair. I had to learn how to do certain things with my, my mouth. I was in a brace. And I'm just like, yeah. 
this ain't yeah this yeah. is not life for me I, I got you but hold on for a minute now because someone knew i mean your doctors knew more than you knew your visitors your, your parents howard mm -hmm. senior your mom you know, all of them knew so they, what did they tell what were they saying to you <laughs> well the first the first doctor that came in which well the first nurse i would say that came in she was pretty much like, you know, once she did the rundown of the questions and stuff, mm -hmm. she was like, are you okay? Like, are you okay? how can you ask me that? Like, I don't know. I just, I just got out of the sedated coma, which I still make, you know, right. make right. sense of everything. But at the same time, she was asking me, well, you know, nobody's supposed, nobody needs to live like this. Nobody's supposed to, you know, Nobody deserves this. You know, if you want, we can talk to the doctor, bring your parents in here. We can talk about other options and stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, in my mind, I'm just like, like, what, like, what are you trying to tell me? Because in my mind, because, you know, still seeing like the tube image and stuff around me, I'm just like, well, am I on life support? I can't be on life support. Because I'm thinking these thoughts. Normally, people on life support can't think the, you know, mm -hmm. have a recollection of what's going on. So I'm just like the fact that she asked me that. I'm starting to question what's going on. So I'm just like, but then I came to my senses. I'm just like, well, if I'm thinking these thoughts, there's no way that I could be this bad off. And I'm just like, if you're telling me that you, like, in my mind, I'm I'm feeling like she just talking about like a. A medical suit. That's what I got out of it. Like a medical mm. suit. Like if you don't want to live no more, we can make we can figure something right. out. That's what not, it sounds like. My right. It's not the first time somebody came in here. Mm. You know, like in this situation, they didn't want to. And I'm just like, yeah, nah, lady, you crazy get about it. And I kept it to myself for a while because I didn't want nothing. You know, no bad energy, just extra bad energy coming out. It was our the situation was already bad enough. Police walking up and right. down the hallway and it everything was pretty much on lock on lockdown. And so mm -hmm. I, I just kept that, that those thoughts that she said to myself. I'm just like, well I, mean, I don't I don't need nothing extra more than what I can bear because I don't even know what's going on right now. So let me right. not but like you know, antagonize the situation, and then and the situation may not be have been what it what it was, you know. Mm -hmm. So I kept it to myself. But you know, the first when I when the first thing, you know, the first couple of people that came to the room after her were well, my mom and my dad. And you know, automatically, first thing I said was, "I was sorry." You know, started crying. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Doesn't You know. Why were you apologizing? Why were you sorry? Because you know. They they knew that I was in South Carolina. They knew the type of the goals that I was meeting, the type of, you know, things that I wanted to achieve. But at the same time, you just never know yeah. what may be coming out of other people's mouth. Right. right. Understood. Okay. And so it was already like I said, it was already almost two weeks. The news had got a hold of this. My school had got a hold of this. Raleigh, me, my my hometown news uh, media got a hold of this. So in my mind, just like I just don't know what was probably probably said. Mm -hmm. And they, my parents, know I'm not a bad, I'm not a bad kid. I wasn't a bad kid. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I was just doing the things that, you know, yeah. people yeah, who I mean, had. That's just incredible. You were injured, but you 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 were protecting them. You were telling them that you were sorry. That's, I find that very interesting. But I want yeah. to go a little deeper. I'm sorry. No, because, you know, I didn't want, as a black man, it's easy to be uh-huh. betrayed like, oh, it was gang. Uh-huh. It was I gang later. He was out doing something foolish. Right. You know, he got his his drug where they in or something, mm-hmm. something crazy, even though they knew what I was doing, with whatever they probably was told prior to them driving uh-huh. three, four hours away to make sure I was okay. You just yeah. never know. And what the crazy, the crazy thing about that is that being me being in the military, something always, something that semester or the beginning of that semester, something had like, something was just I don't know, rubbing me the wrong way at the beginning of that whole semester. Mind you, this was spring break, so the semester was halfway done. Mm-hmm. But at the beginning of that semester, something was rubbing, rubbing me the wrong way, and I'm just like, and I don't know if it was the way the the meat, the news was broadcasting different things or stuff that I was just seeing going on in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, people getting shot by gun violence and this and that and mm-hmm. third. And something was just telling me, like, I pray that I'll never get in the situation mm. that I get shot in the street and not have a story or a reason behind why. You get what I'm saying? Mm. Like, me being yeah. in the military, I always used to say, I would rather, if I if I had to get shot, I would rather die overseas, like, making, you know, making a substantial living for my family. Rather mm-hmm. than getting died, again shot in the street, and somebody have a right. have an opinion. If right. you die, if you die overseas, there's no opinion because you die fighting for it, quote unquote. Right. Your country, right? It's automatic that the the narrative is already there. You die, right. you die, you die just in the regular regular street. You get wrong, mm-hmm. but paying a narrative about you that right. that may not I understand. Be, they don't know you. Yeah, I understand exactly. now. Yeah, the sure, narrative yeah. is what you, yeah, what you were considered concerned about. So, but I, I want to go just a little deeper, and because I want to understand. Mm-hmm. So, once you discovered Howard Jr. that you know something, this situation is not temporary; it's permanent. How did you feel about that? What, what was your thinking like? I think the first. I think I cried because. There's there's always an end to something like this, right? So all the the support and the people coming around, taking all the work, making sure I was good, this and that third, you know, that's got to come to an end at some point because they have to go back to their regular lives. You know, mm-hmm. the, their life doesn't evolve. They evolve around me, you know what I'm saying? As much as I was, mm-hmm. wanted to, whatever my situation is, I better no matter how bad it is, they still have to do what they have to do, provide for their family, you know, still have to live their life. So I cried because at the same time, just like, I started, before it even happened, which it already happened at this point, but at that time, I'm just looking into the future. I'm just like, people go, people go, people go be people. I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I, I can tell when things calm down, it's not it's not gonna be the same anymore. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like the, mm-hmm. the 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 love that you get, the friends that you think you have in the midst of the situation, it's not it's not gonna be the same no more when things calm down. Because right. people because people can only assume for so long. Like, you know, I done came around, oh he's good, he's okay. You know, he's getting back to his normal self. But am I really though? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, because people don't understand. Like, at least for me, and I get, and like, people, everybody got they, they battles that they dealing with. But at least for me in my situation, just like, I don't think people understand like the sacrifices and how hard mm-hmm. I, I went. You know, just. just to get to where I was at, mm. just for it all disappear like that. Like that. Right. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like yeah. right. the, the time and the effort that I put in, the sacrifice that I, that I, the decisions that I made, and, and to this day, I still don't think people understand like mm. the sacrifice, even though the time my time in the military and the things that I did, if you look at the timeline, some of the things may seem short, like, you know, a, a short time period. But in the midst of what I had probably had to go through in that time period was a lot. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. But for yeah. me, the type of person I was, I was always doing something. So, like, I used to tell, I used to tell my 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 friend he was like why you do he said why you do so much he said you don't never got time for yourself i'm like i do got time for myself on the weekend you know what i'm saying the weekend i got time but <laughs> yeah. during, the, during the weekend i mean it's yeah. it's, it's, it's business but on mm-hmm. weekends i can play as long as i know yeah. i got it that i did on the on the on the weekday out of the way he was, yeah. like, he was like why you do so much i'm just like well if i if i happen to leave this world Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave this world with regret. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So look, yeah. So I want to go deeper into your re- reaction to the incident, but I, I want to make sure that people understand that you were not, that is Howard Boone Jr. was not a target of this drive-by shooter. Right. Is that correct? Right. Well, actually, it wasn't a, it wasn't a drive-by. He was in the midst of the crowd. And what happened oh. was he was he was arguing with someone, with someone. And I don't know, they claim he, the guy that shot me, they claim the police and authority claimed that he was a part of a gang, but whatever the altercation was in that moment, I don't think it was gang related. I think it was just people being, people being drunk and him being with his friends, him, I think him put, proving a point, you know what I'm saying? Peer pressure is real. Like if you pull, if you in the midst of your, your peers and you intoxicated and you pull out a gun I mean at any point they say if you pull out a gun anyway you better use it you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. so like yeah. on top of it you being and somebody being intoxicated just like okay well you got your friends probably hyping you up and saying oh you gonna let them talk to you like that man you done pulled it out mm-hmm. now what you gonna do and not thinking he just started shooting, but you could tell when he was shooting because it, it's all on video, and I got a video on my phone. But you can tell when he was shooting that, like, 
he really didn't want to pull that trigger. He just did it because of, of peer pressure. Because mm -hmm. if he really wanted to kill that person, that he was having altercation where he could. Yeah, the person was that person was right there in arm and arm almost arms length away from him. You know what I'm saying? Wow. And that, and that yeah. person didn't even and that person didn't even get shot. Mm. I was nowhere near. I was nowhere near the altercation. I was a block away. I was on the other side of the, the other side of oh, the, mm. the street, like the block, the other side of the block. When it happened, like across the jaywalk, right? Mm -hmm. And I just happened to be one of the ones. It was three people. Three people got hit. One of them got grazed, I think, in the back or in the butt. Another person got shot in the mouth, mm. and then I got. I think I, I probably got the worst. Worst end of it as far as like my my situation currently. Okay. You get what I'm saying? So yeah. So so how would you how do you I feel about that guy that pulled the trigger? I mean, I, you know, if you don't mind talking about that. No, I mean, I did, I did have, I did have, you know, a lot of, a lot of hate towards, but you know, I think. My aunt had told me, and I think I think my family still got, and my family and friends got more hate towards him than I do, you know, because I think it wasn't until I think my my aunt was like, you know, he was always active, he was always busy, he never had time to sit down, he never had time to just just embrace what's going on around you, right, and so. When she said that, she was just pretty much like, God set you down for a reason. Mm -hmm. And whatever that reason is, I don't know. But he set you down for a reason. And so I started, you know, taking that with a grain of salt and just running with it. And my mind was just like, well, let me reflect on some of the things that I, that I may have done in the mm -hmm. past. And I'm just like, well, I ain't never do nothing crazy. But I can have understanding of the situation at hand. Like peer pressure can get you like when you're around the wrong people, peer pressure can get mm. you caught up in some things that you don't even want to get caught up. Even if even if you're not even the person that's doing it, doing it, just you being around somebody that's doing something crazy, you could probably get more get in more trouble than what they than what they probably would put them probably right. get. And then okay. you know the the thought of you know second chances. Everybody don't get second chances. You know right. I was like get a second chance which is living okay. but okay but him and his situation it was just like he you know you some people some people make horrible decisions they get second and third chances some people make one bad decision and then they whole like get thrown away just by the just by uh an unconscious thought like not not thinking in the moment not seeing the think the thinking your thoughts before you react to a certain situation right right and, and so, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't, I don't hate, I don't hate him. I don't hate him. I hate my situation though. That I can't, uh -huh. I can't, that I hate my situation because it, it removed a lot of things out of my life. It took a lot of, a lot away from me that I worked for. But as far as him, I can't say I hate him because yeah. for one, it wasn't intended for me. Right. It was straight. It was a straight, but it acts, I mean, it, it, it's a lot of layers to that that I can I can okay. talk, but yeah, you know, overall though I don't I don't have I don't really. Have I, I think that's that's insightful, Howard. I mean, you know, to be to not hate the person, 
who pulled the trigger. I mean, that's, that says a lot about you. But I want to throw some emotions here and have you respond about you and the emotions that I threw out. Is it okay with you? Okay, so the first one is regret. Do you have that? Uh, what's that like for you? Uh, as far as in terms of how I used it earlier? Uh, in terms of, you know, the acts, the incident, in terms of being uh, in that city at that time, in terms of even leaving home, do you have any, do you hold yourself responsible in any way and say, well, I wish that I did not go to Orangeburg or I wish I didn't go to Columbia? Uh, to a, I would, I don't want to say I have regret because, like I said at the time, I felt like a protector, right? And so, like I said, we was on, we was um, you know, uh, in the process of joining the fraternity. So, like certain things, like I just felt like a big brother about. So, if I felt right. like something. Like you don't need somebody like if you don't if I feel like somebody didn't need to go somewhere by themselves, call me and I can I'll go with you, right? And so, you know, I don't have regret on that part because if I hadn't did that, I wouldn't have been the person I am. You know, it's like that's just, I that's just who I am. Yeah. But at the same time, it's just like one of those things where you know. If it was just me, a decision that I had to make on my own, I would I would have never went because you know you get an intuition, and that something ain't right, and something ain't, you don't need to go. But at the right. same time, it's just like well, shoot, the way the world works now, it even if it didn't happen then, it could have it could have happened a week. You know what I'm saying? Just, sure. just thinking on how life works. So it's just like yeah. I can't. That's one, of, that's one of the things, too, like, people say, man, like, you know, with all these things going on in the world, and I, ain't, I, don't, I don't know if I want to go outside. You know, people get social anxiety now because of the way, you know, all these mass shootings and stuff like that, but you can't stop living your life. You get what I'm saying? Because you can hide today because you get all this anxiety and all, and, and the social anxiety, but then the moment that you feel like you good and you okay and you can step outside, it might happen then. Right. Yeah, so, I tell you. <laughs> I wish you this there. Look, uh, let me throw one more, just one more. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is something that affects a lot of people all over the world, and that is depression. Did you experience mm -hmm. depression after this incident? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. You know, I'll be watching a lot of uh, a lot of podcasts and they mm -hmm. say like black men really don't know what depression is until they go to therapy. Right. And so, like, I never had that feeling. Of... of feeling depressed, I think just the elements that probably around me at the time, the things that's going on, I feel a lot of disappointment. Mm. That's right. huge. What you just said. That, that's huge. That you yeah. didn't experience the emotion of hopelessness around that right. situation. Wow. Why do you suppose, how would you explain that? I mean, some people, you know, just 
have depression because of, I know, you know, we don't know why, but how do you explain that? That you didn't just say, you know, it's over, give me the blue pill, I'm done, I'm done. Because the same, the same way I felt about being stripped away from all the things that I work for is the same way I feel about my life. Like just be, the fact that like a lot of things that I work for is not a tangible thing in my hand right now. Mm -hmm. The fact that I are, but the fact that I still did it is like my life is still too valuable, regardless if it's right there tangible in my hand right now, mm -hmm. physically, like the fact that I did it. Yeah. You still at the same time, me wanting to end my life or however the case may be, like my life is still too valuable because it's already it's already done. Wow. Like, the, fact, the, the fact that I did already did it, even though it's not still here with me physically, but the fact that I did it, can't nobody take that away from me. But I tell you, you know, what, I love what you just said, that your life is still valuable. That's that's amazing. So look, I know we don't have much more time, but I still have a couple of other things to ask you. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were to look at what you've learned from all that you've gone through and all that you go through, what are maybe one or two things that you've learned from all of this and that you're learning? Patience, for sure. Oh, Patience that's for huge. Sure. Mm. Patience for sure. Uh, mostly with other people because, you know, they are my, you know, they pretty much do everything for me. Like I don't have any use of my hands or my, my feet. So, you know, it's things that I want as far as getting fed, if I need my, mm -hmm. you know, my teeth brushed, my, my back washed or whatever, like I have to be patient with certain people. Now, you know, sometimes my patience run out because I've been patient too long. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. You, know, you have to, in the midst of this, you have to teach people how to do certain things. You have to teach people how okay. you know, uh, to what you like, how you like it. Like, for me, like I said, I got to get fed. I mean, a piece of chicken. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay. it's a certain way I like to eat my chicken. I don't want you to take the meat off and just give me the meat. I want to feel. I want to feel like I'm. I would. I would if I if I was feeding myself. I want to feel the bone. I want to feel the crisp. I want to mm. feel like I don't like people like you know, mm. you know, uh, doing little things to make me feel like I am incapable of certain stuff. You know, what I'm saying like some things I can like I'll give it a pass, but certain things I still want to mm -hmm. feel. Yeah. Normalize, you know what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. I got you. Um, but I want to stay with that. You know, so so you are tell, tell me about your condition. Tell me about where you are now in terms of your body. What is that like for you right now? Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm paralyzed from the uh from the neck down on the ventilator, ventilator dependent as of right now. Hopefully, I'm praying for a change, but we'll see. Right. You know, ain't no telling what the future holds everybody's body is different. Right. From but yeah, so paralyzed from from the neck down and the ventilator. Mm -hmm. So Howard, um, what is if you don't mind sharing about this? What is just pick any period of your day today, for example. What is your mental activity about? You know, what are you thinking about? What kinds of things that arise for you? 
I mean, for me, for some people, it would be like self-pity. For others, it would be like, this sucks. Or what is it like for you? Uh, it, it looks different every day, I would say. Um, I guess it depends on, like, I guess how the week looks. Okay. Um, like this weekend, I'm looking forward to like the college, the start of college football, right? So like, ah, yeah. yeah, my morale is a little high, but at the same time, I may slip into a moment where like, I may look outside because I can't, you know, I can't move how I want to. Like, you know, like I said, I was okay. a get up and get up and go person. Like before all this happened, like if I wanted to do something, I'd do it. Anybody would stop me from doing it. If, you know what I mean? So it's like now, it's like sometimes I might, if the blinds are open, I might just look outside and be like, mm -hmm. yeah, wow. Like, I wish I could just, just go out there, like, you know, yeah, I without, you. You know, without no help, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just, just me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I find fascinating and interesting about this, Howard Jr., is that you didn't report that your mental activity was just sadness, predominantly sadness. You didn't report that, you know, that you're in this place where you just, you know what I mean? So it's, I think that's, I would like to know more, not today, but mm -hmm. I want to meet you one day. And I want to I explore that with you because I just want to learn about how do you not just sink into a depression that lasts for weeks and months and even years, uh, given how active you were before. But that's for another time. I don't want to go there now, but I still have many two more to ask you about. What is Trauma Behind the Mask about? That's your first book. Is that correct? Right. Yes, sir. Yeah. So what is what is that about? Your book, unfortunately. So, uh, it's about gun violence. It's about gun okay. violence. And it, it pretty much started um, as a therapy thing. Like it wasn't, and I didn't have no intention on turning it into a book. Um, it's just starting out as therapy, just my thoughts of, you know, how I feel certain, like certain times I would feel a certain way about my situation or something that I may yeah. come across on TV. Um, mm -hmm. And then just like, just think different things of how I feel and what the reality of it is. You know, trauma behind the mask is pretty much just um, exposing the fact that like, gun violence comes with untreated mental health like wow. there's there's levels to gun violence like if somebody breaks into my house i have all the right to shoot and just and protection of my family right but when you talk about mass shootings suicide um, you know just different things like something that does that some somebody can't justify that, that lets you know that there's some type of trauma that that person was dealing with that was unsolved outside of the trauma that he's already inflicting on other people. That person himself who has the who has the game is has, is dealing with something or was dealing with something that never got resolved, and that could be a line of things between childhood trauma. Like you see it all the time with like police officers. People become police officers because they was bullied when they was a, when they was a kid. You know, just different different things of that nation. But now, now they feel like they got authority because mm -hmm. they made the law. 
right? Yeah. So they start doing stuff out of, you know, what they think feels good or what they think may be right. right. And then, you know, it ain't, it, ain't, it ain't right. Yeah. Look, I knew we had to end, but do you have time for two more things? Real short. Yeah, two I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. So uh, what is Legacy 318? Can you tell us about Legacy 318? Uh, Legacy 318 was a, a nonprofit that I started. Um, when okay. I first got shot, um, Legacy, it, it was a, turned into an acronym because I, I was always big on Legacy. Everything that I did, everything that I worked for, all the achievements was because I was trying to build a legacy. So when I turned mm -hmm. the legacy into an acronym, let everything go and control yourself. Like wow. reflect on gun violence. Like, you know, the things that may upset you, just you know, try to let it go, control yourself because whatever you action may come behind something, if you don't, may be greater than what, you know, than what you than what you expect. And so but three eighteen is just the month and the day in the technically the year too that I got shot mm -hmm. three eighteen, March eighteenth, twenty eighteen. I like I like I mean I like the I like the the nonprofit name Legacy Three Eighteen yeah wish you much success with that one last thing I know that you recently graduated from Saint Augustine's University what year was that and how did you feel when you got your diploma uh, it was 20, 2022, last year yeah. I went back to finish my last year um, did everything through accessibility on my phone which was hard. <laughs> we got through it but the feeling uh i mean i was i was excited i mean you know i don't think i really ever did too many things that i couldn't finish like if i everything that i think i started for the most part i finished you know what i'm saying so for me just yeah. finishing my last year really wasn't it was just more so proven to myself that i couldn't finish in my situation but it really for me it really wasn't Honestly, it wasn't exciting like I wanted it to be because what was supposed to happen, if none of this had took place, mm -hmm. I can't, you can't write that. You can't, you can't, you can't script it up. You can't like, you know, my grandfather, my grandfather was in, in, um, in Vietnam and, and our whole plan was, he was the first sergeant. Our whole plan was as soon as I get commissioned as an officer, he was gonna go get all his ribbons and badges, get a suit, get a, his uh, get a suit with all the stuff put on. He was gonna give me my first salute. And it was a whole bunch, a whole whole lot of things that I can't, I just can't get now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That I wish I would. Some of the things I wish I could, I wish I could have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Can't get well, look. But uh, Harry Boone Jr., I tell you what, your light is still shining. Uh, I can see it, and I can surely sense it. So thank you for taking the time to uh, talk with me today. I appreciate you, sir. And I appreciate you. Okay. Well, you've been listening to the Possibility Action Network podcast. Our guest today has been Howard Boone Jr. I'm your host, Stephen Middleton. Until next time, good day. <laughs>